Well, good morning. If you are one of my pirate ship kids, which means that you are kindergarten through second grade, uh, you can exit out the back there. Mr. Jordan Dasher, wave your hands in the air like you don't care right over there. He's, he's glad to help you out. Excited to teach today. Uh, if you don't know, if you're kind of new to this whole deal, the reason why we send them back there is for them to have an environment uh, of their own, make sure that they uh, can gather the, all the information that we're going to give to them. So um, anyway, today uh, we're going to be working on this idea of, of discipleship. Now, as I was thinking about this, it really brought back a memory for me um, because I'm, I'm going to give you a very kind of simple understanding of what discipleship means. Now, discipleship is kind of this, uh, I would call it a Christianese type word. We don't use that word anywhere else except for in the church. Um, but I'm going to give you this kind of very kind of simple, uh, it's actually a hand gesture. Okay, so when I was, um, when, when I was uh, in college and a lot of, I've told my story about how I met Adrian one day, uh, it was in Spanish class and she was in the higher level Spanish class and I was in the very dumb level Spanish class. And I walked in and, uh, and she was my grupo leader. And for those of you who know English, that's groups. Um, so uh, she, she was my grupo leader. And the, her rule was that she couldn't speak English to our group. She had to speak it in Spanish completely. And so she was trying to teach us our kind of lesson for the day was parts of the body. And, uh, and so she, and uh, she trying to make the complex simple, and you got to help me out here. So if you know this, she was doing the whole head, shoulders, toes, knees, and toes. Okay, she was doing that, but in Spanish. And obviously I didn't learn very well because I have no idea what the words were uh, there. So I'm pretty sure this is cabeza, right? I, I did learn more than just you. So that's good. Uh, anyway, so she's, she's rolling through this and she makes a stand up in the middle of class. And we're, you know, one at a time. So I'm singing this song in Spanish, uh, you know, which is, which was painfully bad for a 19-year-old grown man to be, you know, singing something that he doesn't know, a childish game, eh, cabeza, whatever the words are, right? And, uh, and so, so I felt really foolish. Now, some of you are totally cool with this because you're parents and you don't mind making a fool out of yourself, and you're, you're okay with, with singing. So, so here's what I'm going to do, but I'm going to give you some, like, hand motions to something that I want you to remember, and even though it's silly, I want you to do it, okay? So here's the deal. This is what I want you to know. Head, heart, and hands. Okay? I want you to do that with me. Can you do that with me? Ready? Okay? Head, heart, hands. Now, if you're a dude and you think that that's stupid, all right, and you're just like, I'm never going to do that, you just go like this. Right? <laughs> that's all you got to do. Right? You got this the same thing. Right? Okay. Head, heart, hands. Can you do that with me one more time? Head, heart, hands. Right? Dude, there we go. Okay. You can do it. All right. So that's what I want you to know. For the rest, I mean, I'm trying to make the complex simple. I want you to gather that, okay? Because we, do, we have this idea of discipleship, of making disciples, and that's only a word that we use in church. We don't use it anywhere else. So I want to define it for us. I want to make sure that we know what we're talking about here because it's going to really feed into the next several weeks as we work through something called the, the thread series, okay? Because we believe that discipleship, this idea of, of, of being a disciple and making disciples, actually weaves its way through our entire church. That there's no part of our church that discipleship doesn't touch. Sometimes you'll go to a church and they have a discipleship ministry or a discipleship 
pastor, that it's segregated off into a very specific area of the church. We don't believe that. We believe just like a sweater that there's threads that weave the way, their way through everything that we do. And we believe that you can come here on the Sunday morning and be discipled. We believe that you're discipled inside of your missional community. We believe that you're discipled inside of a huddle. We believe that you're, you're discipled in front of just with your friends on a Saturday night hanging out and discussing the gospel. We believe that that's part of discipleship. And so we want to say that it weaves its way. And there's several other threads that we're going to be working through in the next couple weeks, meaning worship and prayer, generosity, scripture, all of those things weave its way through everything that we do. So it's my job this morning to kind of talk about this idea of discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple? So if you have a Bible, uh, we're going to be looking in the book of Mark chapter 1 verse 17. Okay, that's our main text for today. Uh, So if you have a Bible, please bring it out. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. But let me say this, we do have one for you if you want a Bible. Uh, We'd love to give you one so that you can have one in case you don't have one, okay? Um, But, so, what is this idea of disciples? Disciples are something that Jesus introduced, okay? And he had, how many disciples did he have? Somebody shout it out. Twelve, okay, very good. And twelve very specific men that he wanted to disciple, and he did so over a span of three years. And we're going to find that, we're going to find a little bit about that in Mark chapter 1, okay? But he also says that we need to make disciples. So not only do we, are, we, are we being disciples, Mark chapter 1, we are going to make disciples, Matthew chapter 28, which is go therefore and make disciples of many, of all nations. That's what he says, all nations. So not only are we supposed to be disciples, we are supposed to make disciples. If that is our calling, then we should probably know how to define that. We should probably know what discipleship is. And we should have a very clear understanding of how to explain that to somebody else. And so that's why I gave you the head, heart, hands thing, so that you can know what it is, in your, like you can know it in your brain, and then be able to explain it to somebody else. Okay, we're going to work through that. But here, let me do this. Before, sometimes it's really helpful when we're trying to define something. It's, e- it's, it's easy to say, okay, this is what it's not, so we can draw a pretty clear contrast, okay? So let's discuss really quick what discipleship is not before we get into what it is, okay? So if you're writing notes, what discipleship is not? First thing, discipleship is not merely conversion or simply conversion. Here's what we think. You had some kind of emotional experience at a camp or at a church or something like that and and had some kind of spiritual experience and you were saved. And that's fantastic. It's fantastic. I don't want to take away from that, right? But discipleship is not merely this one-time thing. Discipleship is a regular, constant idea of walking with Jesus. Is it a bad thing that you were converted? Absolutely not. I think it's fantastic that we actually, that, that people are converted to Christianity, meaning that they, they change their mind about their belief in God and what it means for them. But discipleship is not merely or simply about conversion. Number two, discipleship is not church attendance. Let me say something very boldly and specific. You can attend church your entire life every single week and still go to hell. That's, that's tough. You can attend church every single week of your life and still spend eternity without God. I, I'm, a, I'm a novice uh, Braves fan. I was better back in the day when I was in high school. I can watch baseball. I can actually spend you know, three hours in front of the TV and watching guys throw the ball around, right? Uh, and so I, I, I'm a novice Braves fan. 
I can go to every single Braves, Braves game and watch every single game on TV. That does not make me a part of the team. I can know everything about every single player. It doesn't make me part of the team. That's the difference between discipleship and just going to church. So if you're looking, you're, you're just thinking, okay, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I like God a lot and I go to church. It's not about that. The third thing we're working into that is, um, is a list of accomplished actions. Discipleship is not a list of accomplished actions. Things that we just kind of check off a list so that God would be happy with us. Okay? Imagine if you did that uh, with your marriage. Okay? So the things that we do, you know, hey, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to make sure I go to missional community. Got that one for the week. God's going to be happy with me about that. I put some money in the plate. God's going to be really, really actually happy with me. Uh, You know, I said a little prayer before dinner. Good. Check that one off. Good. And as long as I check enough things off and don't do a lot of bad things, that God's going to be happy with me. That's not discipleship. Imagine if you did that in your marriage. Honey, I I, uh, did the dishes. Good. Cool. Uh, I said I love you, didn't I? Absolutely. Okay. I kissed you. Awesome. Good. Um, You know, I helped the kids out. Cool. Cool. Okay. Marriage. Good. No. Your wife would scream at you for that, right? It's not, marriage is, marriage is not this kind of just check off quota list. It's a heartfelt change. This is who you are. You find your identity in it. And discipleship is the same thing. So those, those are three things about what discipleship is not. So what actually is discipleship? Or what, is it, what does it mean to be a disciple? So look in your Bibles, Mark chapter 1. We're going to actually start in verse 16. It says this, it'll be up on the screen. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, meaning this is Jesus. He saw Simon, which is Peter, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were real fishermen. And Jesus said to them, and I want you to get this, if you have a pen, you got a Bible, go ahead and underline this phrase in verse 17. It says this, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Okay, so there's three things happening in this one simple sentence. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Three things that are happening inside of this very specific sentence. Number one, Jesus is, is, is going after their head. He says, follow me. That is a head conscious decision. He wants them to know him. He wants them to experience him. That, we, that there are things that we do. The first step in this discipleship is to make a decision to follow Jesus. To gain in head knowledge about who he is. To know his story. To know his gospel. To know the truths. These are all things that we do with our mind. Our head. Right? Head. Knowledge issues. Now I want to say this. There is no prerequisite at all for this. The Bible is very clear about that. There is no prerequisite for following Jesus. These guys were out on the boat. They were fishing. And he goes, follow me. He didn't ask them what their spiritual pedigree was. He didn't ask them who their parents were. He didn't ask them if they attended temple really well. He didn't ask them any of that stuff. He said, boom, follow me. It's a conscious decision. I want you to say yes or, or no. There is no prerequisite at all. And so it does not matter. I want you to get this. Regardless of the way that you believe now or how you behave currently Jesus calls you to follow him. Regardless, I want, you to, I, want to, I want to say it really clearly, regardless of what you believe right now and how you behave, Jesus is calling you to follow him, to make a conscious decision. 
See, a lot of you are like, I can't follow Jesus because I have all this stuff in my past that I'm just a little unsure about. I've, I, I just, I'm not sure I get everything. I'm not sure I completely understand everything there is to understand about who God is. Newsflash, that's not going to happen, okay? If you understood everything there is about God, guess who you'd be? God, okay? So there are parts of our great God of the universe that you're not going to be able to wrap your mind around. Some of you are waiting for that to happen. Jesus is calling you to follow, and you will gain in knowledge about who God is, okay? So there's, there's head knowledge. For a lot of us, this is that salvation moment that we had, this conversion moment where we decided to make a decision for yes for Jesus, for amen for Jesus. I'm going to follow. So how do we gain knowledge about who Jesus is? How do we do that? And these are the threads that, that we're going to work through in these next couple weeks. These are the threads, okay? We're going to, you know, how you gain knowledge. You gain knowledge, one, through God's word. That's why we want you to have a Bible. We want you to take that Bible and we want you to read it. We believe that God speaks through that. He reveals himself through that. And we want to keep you accountable to that. We want you to walk with others in reading the scriptures. So that's why we have our huddle system. We want you to be in a huddle where two or three people gather together, read the word together, study it, and try to apply it to their lives so that they can be transformed, that they, we can move from head to heart. I'll get to that in a second. But we want, we want our huddle system to be ingrained in the word of God. We want you on a regular basis to be taught and learn how to read the word. Are you going to understand every single word that you read? No. But we want you to start and read it and make a conscious decision to breathe in the word of God. Secondly, listening to good preaching, being here on Sunday morning. Am I saying that I'm a good preacher? No, there's a, there's a lot of other guys that come up here. Hopefully God speaks through me. But I really want you guys to be here on Sunday mornings, to be faithful in attendance so that you can learn more about who God is. Am I going to transform your life? No, but you're going to gain in knowledge about who God is. And we want you to do that with using your head. Sermon preparation through missional communities. Let's do this. I love this. Who's in a missional community? Raise your hand. Woo! Okay, cool. Usually you guys give me a little sound for that. Yeah, thanks. Awesome. Way to go. Yeah, okay. So a part of our missional community is towards the end. We always gather around the scripture and you guys debrief debrief off the scripture. Here's what's fun. You actually read the scripture that will be preached the following Sunday. Okay, so you're reading, you're basically reading the book before you see the movie. We want to make sure that you are ingraining the word of God within you before you get to the sermon. It doesn't matter what I say, it matters what God says. And we want to make sure that you know the word and are able to think through it for yourself. Okay? So that's head. That's head. Okay? So that's follow me. Heart. Secondly, heart. Changed by Jesus. So we have head, follow Jesus. We have heart. Something ingrained into you, this change, which means, he says, I will make you. Follow me and I will make you. What he's saying is you are going to change. There is this transformation that happens when we follow Jesus. And we move, when we move from death to life, God calls us to, in the scripture, to put off our old self and to put on our new self, which is Christ which it changes our identity. And what I love about the scriptures, it tells us that God moves first. God is always the first mover and that his grace moves before we move all of the time. And then we respond to God in grace-driven effort. 
We respond to God in this transformation process. God's mercy moves first. God's grace moves first. God's faithfulness moves first. And then we respond with grace-driven effort. Not with a checklist, but with grace-driven effort. Knowing that God has moved and we're responding to what God has done so that our lives, our heart can be transformed. That we move, we make that move from head knowledge to heart knowledge. That it changes who we are. And so let's, let's look at this. You don't have to turn this, but it'll be up on the screen. This is, this is Romans chapter 12, 1 through 2. It's a really good passage. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. <clears throat> Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, here's what I want you to see in this passage. There's a little bit of tug of war. There is God doing things first, and then there is us responding to what God is doing. Okay? I want you to roll through this passage with me. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Who's, working, who's acting first? God is. We are actually we're doing everything through the mercy of God. God is acting first. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What's that? That's us responding to God's mercy. We are, we are then presenting to him a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Whose action is that? God. Be transformed. It is a passive action. God is going to transform us. How is he going to transform us? Here we go. By the renewal of your mind that by testing, who is it that discerns? You, us. We discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so this transformation that happens. Now I want you to get this. When we follow Jesus and, jo- and Jesus accepts us into his, into his kingdom, he gives us the gospel, every single part of that is God's work. It is God's freedom. It is God's gift to us. And he does 100% of the work. And then God joins us in this idea that he is going to give to us grace and we are going to respond in grace-driven effort. Now if we are not, we are not, actually attaching ourselves to God's grace, that we're just doing all the effort, 100% of it, then that's a problem. We know that God is the one who works first. And at the end of the day, what we begin to have is a new identity in Christ. And you look less like you, and you, like, you look more like Christ. And here's a personal pet, pet peeve of mine, okay? And I've heard it actually a couple times this week, and it really bothers me. Here's what it is. We think, and we've decided, that our personality... Um, is off limits to God's change. We believe that our personality is God's change. And here's, here's, how, here's how it's said in our society. That's just the way that I am. Have you ever heard anybody say that? That's just the way that I am. Has anybody said that? Anybody confessing? Okay, you're all lying, okay? Okay, that's just the way that I am. And what we do is we justify our actions based upon our personality. That's the way that I was born. That's the environment that I was grown up in. I have to act this way because that's what's hardwired in. There's no part about who we are that God can't change. And we have to be able to lay down our personality on the altar of being a living sacrifice and say, God, I'm not really sure that this is holy and acceptable. 
I need this to be changed as well. And now, no matter how hardwired it is into me, I have to be able to change. So how does this change happen? <clears throat> how does this change happen? Well, we're going to get back to the threads now, okay? How does this change happen? How do we do that in the church of Cane Bay? There's accountability and then there's repentance within this change, okay? So we have this, this idea. You know, we're going we're gonna to beat this idea into the ground until you get it, okay? We want you to be in a huddle. What, are, what is a huddle all about? It's about accountability. It's about calling each other out on our actions. It's about making sure that we're loving our spouses right. It's about making sure that we're in the word of God daily. It's pushing each other. It's challenging each other. It's calling each other out on our actions. It's also encouraging each other, supporting each other, lifting each other up. I love my huddle because it's a chance for guys, men to get together and just share with each other real actions and, 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 and real emotions. And we get really vulnerable with each other. And we begin to pray for each other. And then the next week we begin keeping each other accountable on the actions that we display. I love it. Because what that is, is that's transformation of the heart. We've moved it from the head to the heart and we're transforming inside by God's mercy and our grace-driven effort. So we have, uh, so, you know, in the huddle system and in worship, um, we, want, we want you every single week, if you haven't noticed this, when you, when you walk away from a sermon, every single time there's going to be an opportunity for me or David or Joel or whomever that challenges you, that wants you, we want you to walk away with something. Do I want you to walk away with everything? This thing's going to be a 30 minutes long at least, right? Do we think that you're going to take every single truth and then, and then apply them to your life? No, but we do want you to walk away with something to be challenged with. And so every single week you walk in this place, plan to be challenged, plan to change and transform. That's why we do this. That's why a sermon exists. And so when you're coming here, think, how is my heart going to be changed? Through worship. Scripture memorization is another great way to do this. That you take the scripture into your head and move it to your heart. And that's, that's, that's when you begin to do battle. Sin and scripture, sin and the word of God don't mix. There is no way that you can memorize a scripture and say it in your head and start sinning. I just guarantee it's not going to happen. Your thought process will change. And then finally, one of the, one of the other threads I'm going to be preaching on in a couple of weeks, prayer. Prayer that we commune with God. This is how our heart transforms. We read the word of God. We know the word of God. We pray the word of God. And we allow it to transform our lives. So we've got the head. Help me out. You guys are with me? Head. Head. Heart. Okay. Ready? Hands. So let's talk about the hands real quick. Follow me and I will make you. Follow me and I will make you transformation of heart into fishers of men. That God is going to be our hands and our feet. That we are committed to the mission of Jesus. That we are committed to the mission of Jesus. Fishers of men. We are called not only to be disciples, but to make disciples. And you might say, Charlie, that's not my job. That's your job. You're the pastor. You're supposed to make disciples, not me. I'm just in for the head and the heart. That's it. I want to transform my own life, but, you know, I, I, I never signed up for the deal where I have to make disciples too. Yes, you did. Let me break it to you really simple. God calls all of us, the church, to make disciples. We are supposed to teach others what we have learned in our head and in our heart. And we're supposed to do it with, my, with our hands. To make disciples. If you become a Christian, you will be a part of making disciples. 
You don't just go halfway. If you have the greatest news in all of the world, you are to share the gospel. That's what David got up here earlier and said, hey, we're going to have huddle leader training, meaning that we're going to have other people who are going to multiply these huddles and teach others. And you might say, well, that's not me. Well, I can't do that. I don't have a Bible degree. Yeah? Who cares? The only thing I learned there was Greek, right? You don't hear me speaking a lot of that? I didn't know that was a joke. Okay, um, so I don't even know where to pick up from there. But uh, listen, you can do. You can do it. You can make disciples. I'm going to share with you a little bit about how we do that. We believe as a church at Cane Bay that we have a circle of accountability, which means that we have a five-mile radius around this area, around the Cane Bay community. We believe that every single man, woman, and child within that area, we are responsible to make sure that they get the gospel multiple times so they would have multiple opportunities to respond to that gospel. You know how many people are in that circle? 70,000. That's a lot of people. There's probably 130 here today. We've got a lot of work to do. Now we're going to partner with other churches to make that happen. We want to plant new churches to make that happen because we don't think that we're the only church that has something going on. But we want to make sure that every man, woman, and child has an opportunity to hear the gospel, respond to the gospel, and be discipled. We want to make sure that we do that. So how do we do that? The first is we want to equip you to be able to share your faith. Now I want to make a confession. We've been going for about a year and a half now. I, I'm, this is just an honest confession. I don't want you to freak out over this. But I don't think that me and our staff has done a really good job of equipping you to share your faith. And so I, I shared this in an email with the staff this week. And I said on Tuesday, our staff meeting, we are going to sit around and we are going to talk around how we, as a staff, can equip you better to share your faith. Because I'm not sure that we're doing that really well. And so I really want to be open with you about that. And say, we are going to be be coming to you with ideas on how you can become better at sharing your faith. Now, we want to model it. We're not going to just stand here and say, you should be doing it, and we're just going to stand here and make sure that you're equipped. No, we want to model it just like Jesus modeled it for his disciples. We want to model it for you. We want to do it with you all with you. We want to hold hands with you as you do it. But we want to equip you to share your own faith. Because you might be saying, Charlie, I have no idea how to do that. I know because your pastor hasn't done a very good job of it. I want to make sure that you're equipped to share your own faith. That's the first way that we're going to reach people with our hands. Secondly, we have the system called missional communities. It sets up a platform for us that we serve other people. And it gives us a platform so that we can yell louder. We want to make sure that we build a platform so we can build relationships, so that we can be the hands of Christ, that we can have those opportunities to share the gospel. That's why you get into the schools and you work with the teachers. That's why we work with Eagle Harbor. That's why we work with apartment ministry. That's why we're going to work soon with senior citizens. We're going to make opportunities and a platform to share the gospel with our hands. Huddles. I know this is silly. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to beat this horse, right? Huddles. Do you know how great of an opportunity it is to walk into work and say, hey, at lunch, I'm going to be reading the Bible. Will you join me? And they're like, oh, I'm not into that Christian thing. I don't even go to church. That's okay. They will join you. It's been fantastic to sit across the table from somebody that's never even opened a Bible and read it with them and then have them debrief off the scripture with you. I've seen men come to faith in Christ because I've sat with them in a huddle. And read the word of God. There is something amazing about God's word that draws people out of their sin. 
and share and, and gives them the gospel, and right in front of the word of God, they give their life to Christ. It can happen just like that. And finally, worship. We really do want you to invite people to worship. You guys have done a fantastic like, job of that lately. In the last couple months, we've grown exponentially. It's been fantastic because you guys are getting out the word. We give you those little invite cards. Uh, we have more out on the connection uh, table. They say threads on them. We want to give you more of those so that it makes it easy for you to invite your neighbors, your friends, your family, everybody to come to worship because we do believe that it's fantastic to see that, that might be the doorway in which people hear the gospel. So we want you to continue to do that. Um, and all of this, let me say this, and this might be a little bit of a soapbox, but all of this idea of the head, heart, and hands, all of this first has to start in your home. It really does have to start in your home with your marriage and your children. When we talk about discipleship, and hear me, when we talk about making disciples, you, parent, are the chief disciple maker of your children. Let me say it again. You and only you are the chief disciple maker of your children. Your pastor, this guy up on the stage, is not the chief disciple maker of your child. You are. You are that person. And so please, please don't believe that you can bring your kids to church for one hour a week and believe that they're going to get the full gospel and be able to respond to that. You don't do that with any other discipline that your children go through. How many hours a week do you send your kids to school or do education? And then they come home with homework, and who does it with them? You do, right? How many hours a week do we spend sending our kids to sports, gymnastics, academics, music, and we send them to hours of teaching for that, and what happens when they come home? You reinforce it at home by practicing with them, by doing homework, by working with them on it. But for some odd reason, that doesn't make the transfer to church. It's like the only time we're going to talk about God is we're going to send our kids to some kind of Sunday school or kids at Cane Bay and all that stuff. And then we don't even talk about it the rest of the week. We just think that they're going to get God. For one reason, we we send our kids and we spend hours on academics and sports and music and everything else. Why does that not transfer to to the things of God? Why do we do that to our kids? I don't understand. We need a change here. We need to gather together under a banner of understanding that we are the chief disciple maker of our kids. When you send your kids, either the church Cane Bay, or I'm sorry, the kids at Cane Bay program or students at Cane Bay, let me be honest with you, it's good. It's really good. You know what it is? It's a vitamin supplement. It's a vitamin supplement. It's a Flintstones, right? That's all it is. If that's the only thing they get of God all week, could you imagine if all you fed your child every single week was one Flintstones vitamin? And said, here you go. Obviously, you wouldn't be a very good parent. Obviously, you wouldn't be providing for them. Because we believe that you are the chief disciple maker of your parent. And here's what's crazy. And here's the words that I've heard from parents. I just hope that they get it. I just hope that they get it. That when they come to church, that something is going to stick. Like, you know, we're going to stick the Bible on their forehead and they're going to learn by osmosis, right? And I just, I just hope that they get it. You wouldn't do that with anything else in their life. You really wouldn't. They, they can't write well. You would work with them. 
They, they have a science project. You would spend the hours. You would go out and buy the supplies with them. And you would work on the project with them. They can't do geometry. Well, you might get a tutor for that. But, um, but it is your job to teach them the word of God daily. They're not going to learn how to do a quiet time by sitting in a sermon. They're going to learn it from you. Tell them the gospel regularly. Walk with them in the scripture. Now, here's the deal, too. And a lot of parents are just like, I just want my kids to make their own decision. You didn't do that with any other type of education or sports or music or anything. You call them to repentance. You call them to discipline. You call them to trust in Jesus. Or do you force them? No. But you do call them to that, and you hold them accountable. And as long as they're in their home, that you are going to teach them and discipline them to trust and fear God. And you're going to work with them on that. I know that's a soapbox and it really didn't have anything to do with what, what but I really wanted to tell you that because it's important. And we do that in our marriages too. Because here's why this matters. Colossians 1.28, it'll be up on the screen. You don't have to flip there. Colossians 1.28. It says this. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. that we might be able to present everyone mature in Christ. This goes with our coworkers and our neighbors and our friends. Are you going to be able to present them mature in Christ? Parent, are you going to be able to present your child mature in Christ? That's a big question. Because we want them to graduate from high school and go to college do we want them to graduate from high school and know the scripture and know how to, how to have a quiet time? Do we want them to know how to know the word? Do we not want them to know how to make godly decisions? We do. We have to be the one that actively does that. We believe that the, Jesus of, we believe that the teachings of Jesus are perfect. Here's what's fun. We also believe that, the, that the, the methods of Jesus are perfect as well. And you might be looking at me and saying, I get the head, I get the heart. It's all kind of about me and my decision, but the hands thing, I, I don't know. That, that goes way beyond what I'm able to do. I'm just here and I'm here, but I'm just not sure about here. Here's what's fun about Jesus is that he sent his disciples out and they, weren't, they didn't know everything. He sent his disciples out to, this is what he said, like, he sent them out to heal people and to cast out demons, right? Could you imagine if we said, hey, if you come to our huddle system, our missional community at the end, we're going to send you out. There's some neighbors over there. They need some demons to be cast out. I need you to go over there. I need you to cast out some demons, right? That's what Jesus did. I think we're kind of like elementary grade when it comes to that, okay? Because that's pretty high bar. But he sent them out to go and do this. Sometimes they did a great job. And sometimes they did it. And they would come back to Jesus and say, I, we, we failed. And he would say, let's talk about it. Let's debrief. What happened? How did it not work? And that's what, that, that's what the church is for. Is that we come back in grace and we talk about things. And we work th- through things together and say, hey, that was a success. And we, we, we encourage one another and the results are good. And then sometimes we come back and we failed. And things didn't go so well. And that's when we say, hey, good job, good try. Let's work on this a little bit harder. That's what Jesus' method was. I think it was a pretty good one. So as you're working through your missional community, there's, we're going to be building more leaders to missional communities. 
And here's, here's, what I, here's what I want you to say too. Your missional community leader might not do everything perfectly, and that's okay. Work with them. They might not be me or David or Joel. Who cares? They love the church. They love this community, and they want to lead you, and so work with them. Are, they, are we always going to do everything right? Nope. I had to sit in two meetings this week where I had to eat some crow for something that I did wrong. And I had to say, I didn't really do this really well. Will you forgive me? Let's walk together in grace. So if you think that I do everything right, that's simply not true. We all make mistakes, and we're all going to make mistakes in this idea of the head, the heart, and the hands. And we want to walk together in grace together. And be discipled by Jesus. So here's what I want us to do at the end here. I want you, so how about you? Where are you? Are you here at the head where you need to make a decision about Jesus? Where just the idea of following Jesus is brand new to you? That's good. I want you to be there. It, remember, remember the prerequisite. There is no prerequisite. No matter where you have been, no matter what you have done, you can follow Jesus today, right now. And you can make that decision. Maybe something needs to happen here in the heart where transformation needs to happen. Maybe some of you need to make that leap to the hands where things are happening inside of you and you just feel that God is working in your life, but you're kind of scared to make that decision and start sharing your faith. Where are you with that? So here's my challenge today that you need to think through. Is where are we? The head, the heart, or the hands? What needs your attention? Let's pray together. Do me a favor and stand, if you could. No, this might, everybody, uh, go ahead and bow your heads, and we're going we're gonna to pray together. But here's how I want you to do this, and we're going to pray through a couple things as a church. I know this might sound a little bit silly or weird, but I promise you it's not bad because everybody's going to do it, okay? But we're going to pray through the head, the heart, and the hands. So here's what I want you to do. I just want you to touch your head, just like this. Just touch your head, just like this. Take a moment and think through those words, follow me. That we follow Jesus. Now we, and it might be 30 years ago, 20 years ago, that you made a decision to follow Jesus. I want you to think about that right now. Maybe you haven't made that decision yet and you need to. Maybe right now you just need to say in your mind, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. Take a moment now and just pray that God would work in your mind so that you would know him. move your hands to your heart, just like this. I just want you to lift a prayer to God silently and say, God, transform my life. I trust in your mercies. And now I don't know what that is. I don't know what this is, but there is something that is causing you 
stumble, it's a stumbling block to transformation in your life. It might be your personality. It might be a specific sin that's going through you. What is it? I want you to confess it to God silently. And finally, I want you to commit to a lifestyle of transformation. Just tell God that. Put your hands out like this. Everybody together. Just say to God, God, you have my hands. God, you have my feet. I'm committed to your mission. I'm committed to what you would have for me. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take one person in your life that doesn't know Jesus. I want you to think of that person's name. Put it in your head. Who's that person that doesn't know Jesus in your life, in your influence that you talk to on a regular basis? Who is that person? And in your mind's eye, I want you to put that person in your hands that are out in front of you. Put that person in your hands. And I want you to say to God, God, I am responsible for making sure that that person hears the gospel. And I'm going to work diligently to be bold and share. And leave your hands out just like this. Just for a moment. Jesus, we love you. Leave your hands out just like this.